how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Imagine you're playing Monopoly. Maybe 30 minutes or so into the game and another family member comes up and says, hey, that looks like fun, can I play too? Player one immediately pipes in and says, sure, why don't we just quit and start over? Or hey, maybe we can play five crowns instead. But before that can happen, player two jumps in just as quickly and says, no, 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 no. We started this game of Monopoly. We're going to finish this game of Monopoly. Okay. From that little story, those few sentences, what can you tell me about how things stand for players one and player two, respectively, in that game? Exactly. Easy, isn't it? Well, at least if you're at my house, you can tell me that player one has just mortgaged Baltic Avenue and is trying to sell a get out of free, a get out of jail free card for 20 bucks, <laughs> losing. While player one has just put her second uh, hotel on boardwalk, winning. Here's the point. When you've got a top score in one game, when you're winning at one game, it's really difficult to quit and change to another game. Really difficult for the star breaststroker to be told by his parents the family's moving to a school without a swim team. Difficult for the coal mine CEO to be told all the power plants are going nuclear. You get it. When you're really good at a thing, winning at a thing, it's really difficult to switch games or move to somewhere where the game you're really good at isn't even played. You could think of other uh, stories and examples to make a similar point. Or if you can't think of one, just give Jesus another listen from Mark chapter 10. Because that's exactly what's going on there. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why difficult? Same reason it's so difficult for those who are winning at Monopoly to quit and switch to five crowns. Let me explain if you don't already see. The reading for today is the second scene of the story we got scene one of last week. Maybe remember there, this man comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, just one thing you lack, one thing's holding you back, go sell all you've got and give it to the poor. And he goes away sad because he's got a lot. Now our lesson picks up with Jesus turning to the disciples as sad guy walks away. How difficult, he said. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That is, how difficult it will be for those who've shown they're really good at the have-a-lot-of-stuff game the world says is the most important one to play, and it does say that. How difficult it will be for those who have been trained their whole life for that game, maybe even if they're not so good at it yet and have been taught to aspire to be good at that game, and to look up to those who are good at that game, and even envy those who are good at that game, and are part of a system that banks on everyone playing that game. It's like there's real problems if the game, slash GNP, doesn't get bigger, at least 4% every year. How difficult it will be for them to move into this world, this realm this kingdom, Jesus calls it. 
where that game's not even played, where different things count. Difficult. I mean, it shouldn't be. (laughs) So difficult, so hard. In fact, I think one of the hard things is that it is so hard. Why? I mean, we all know the cliches that aren't really cliches. Money can't buy me happiness. Which, by the way, is only partly true because it has been shown that money money can buy happiness when you give it away. (laughs) Now, the the biblical verdict on money slash possessions slash wealth, it's pretty clear. The Bible treats wealth like enriched uranium. In the hands of a very unique few who've undergone rigorous training and and gained specific skills, who take constant precautions to to handle it correctly and have a community of uh, of watchers looking out for them. In those very unique hands, a little bit of enriched uranium can be used to, what, fuel a city? But, on the other hand, for the great majority of people, carrying around some enriched uranium will just make them sick. That's the biblical view of wealth. Maybe some good use for it, but for most of us, just makes us sick. We got that in our first reading. It said in our, in our translation, there is a grievous evil. could be translated a, an evil sickness that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. And of course, no one needs the Bible to tell us that. I can't remember if I've used this uh, little story or not before, but you know, Phoenix and I, my son, he likes 70s and 80s music. Other day he told me, Dad, I think I was born in the wrong decade. I should have been born in the 80s. So. Uh, but but loves, the, loves the music, and oftentimes a song will be on, and he'll ask me, who sings this? And since I don't know music, I have to ask Siri, who sings this? And then I'll find out. And then the next question is always, are they still alive? And usually without even checking with Siri, um, I say, no, I don't think so. In fact, it's come, become a bit of a, a macabre joke uh, between us. We, 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 the, the fact that so many of these superstars are no longer with us. And why? Almost always drugs or alcohol, suicide. These folks, these superstars, who had everything except anything worth living for. An evil sickness. Sure, we're getting better and better at making stuff and being productive. Start training for that game uh, somewhere around kindergarten. I read the other day about a kindergarten canceling their annual variety show, citing, quote, the changing demands of the 21st century and how they are, quote, responsible for preparing children for college and career. And going on, how taking time for some goofy songs and dance would just disadvantage these kids too much relative to the other five-year-olds training more seriously for the game down the road. So getting worse and worse at uh, song and dance, I guess. But better and better at being more productive and acquiring stuff, and also better and better at being depressed and angry and lonely. Saw somewhere else that over the last 20 years, households have gone from hosting non-family members for a meal an average of 14 times a year to eight. An almost 50% drop in societal hospitality in just 20 years. Why? I don't know. Maybe because just too busy responding to the changing demands of the 21st century. 
which demand more stuff. Probably also fearful that the stuff in your house might not measure up to the stuff of those you invite. Uh, I could go on and on with this. You could. Now it's just getting depressing, isn't it? How difficult it is. <laughs> Playing the game we know isn't good for us, but can't seem to quit either. Either because we've gotten pretty good at it, or somehow been convinced it's the only game worth playing. Hmm. <laughs> now, I was writing this sermon after that last sentence um, I wrote. I said, uh, and I really don't know what to tell you. But then I deleted that because it occurred to me that if that's true, you should probably fire me. <laughs> that in fact, I do know what to tell you, and just because it's really hard for me to trust or live by what I'm supposed to tell you, shouldn't keep me from telling you. Stuck in the game, what I'm supposed to tell you is the same thing I tell every week in one form or fashion. That namely, and as hard as it is to believe, Ibli, there is another game. There's another game that's actually more fun. It's actually worth living for. It's a game where instead of a player, you are the prize. It's a game where instead of counting dollars or degrees, you just count. Period. Count, as in you matter, you're valuable, you're precious. You just count, period. You count, period, precisely because the only one whose opinion counts does not count. Or when he does count, counts only things like every hair on your worried you won't measure up little head. Who along with their number knows the real reason that that other game's so important to us is that we're scared of not counting at all. So the only one whose opinion counts does not count your dollars or cents. He counts not your sins or your stupidities. Jesus counts only the cost of making you his forever. And an infinite, priceless love spreads his arms on the cross to cry out, paid in full. It is finished. Game over, and you win. Count on me. Let me end now with what in the first draft of this sermon I put at the beginning, which I was going to use to make uh, the same point that I ended up making with the Monopoly thing instead, is this. And in high school, we had these talent shows every year, maybe even twice a year. And um, I remember there was just one girl. I can't remember her name, actually. I think she was a year behind me, and she had long red hair. And the only thing I remember about her is what she always did at the talent show. It was some kind of dance which required her to don a, a special get-up and shoes. And she'd kind of jump around on her toes with high knees and sometimes land on a toe and just hold it there for what looked like a long time. Some of you might know the name of this actual dance. I don't. I also remember being told that she was extremely good at it. Like she was world-class traveled to different countries all over the world to compete in competitions for this dance that she often won. That's how good she was. I also remember giggling and making fun of her talent, along with a lot of my pitifully cruel and immature colleagues. 
And, and of course, looking back and thinking about this girl world class, there's a good chance that, um, that she was the most accomplished athlete Lutheran High School Westland had, perhaps has, ever seen. She was really, really good. But none of us goofball, goofballs cared because good at weird dancing was not, uh, not, not, not one of our games, not how we kept score. Not nearly as impressive as the far from world class point guard on our mediocre basketball team who went on to play Division III basketball for a couple years. Now that was cool. <laughs> now this girl, I think her parents had been missionaries or something. And so I wondered, wondered back then, if the place, whether the place that she had grown up, if in that particular place, maybe that dance was valued. Or maybe it earned you a, a good score in the cool game. And then this poor girl, at least as I imagined it, she came to a new place, a new country, where the thing she was really good at, this dance, well, was no longer of any value. So maybe you can see how I was going to use that. I was going to use that as an example of how difficult it is to go from somewhere um, where what you're really good at, whether it's dancing or making money or whatever, to a place where your thing doesn't really count. See how that was going to work. Okay. But I didn't use it because of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit working through the Word, of course. Because the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, Ben, what if that girl, what if that girl whose name you can't remember, what if she just really liked to dance? What if she just really liked to dance and didn't care who snickered or if it scored cool points in some game. Because for her, what she was good at was not part of any game or scorekeeping at all. In fact, the Holy Spirit said, what if the reason she was so good and seemed to have so much fun was because she came from a place, she came from a realm, she came from a kingdom where she, in her special get-up, was the king's prize. Where Jesus, where she was Jesus' prized possession. What if? What if, and, and, and so Baltic or Boardwalk, points, games, counting be damned, what if she just bounced on her toes and threw up her knees for the greater glory of God, and nothing to win, nothing to lose, so prized was she that she just danced. What if, said the Holy Spirit, what if, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.